Today's guest, Taylor Poindexter, is a proud University of Virginia alumni, earning her degree in computer science before launching her career in tech, where she's held down roles like automation engineer, test engineer, backend engineer, and now senior software engineer. Never one to slow down, Taylor also co-founded the Black Code Collective, an organization that strives to provide a safe space for Black engineers to collaborate and grow their skills in the Washington, D.C. area. Along this journey, she has collected several awards for her work, including being selected as one of D.C.'s top power women, as well as D.C.'s top technologist in 2017. Stay tuned as we catch up with Taylor Poindexter and hear all about her career in tech. You're listening to the Developmentor Podcast, hosted by Grant Ingersoll. We have one goal on the show, to help you build a successful career in tech, no matter where you're from or where you're going. We do this by showcasing interesting people working across a variety of roles in tech and deep dive into their why. If you want to learn more, please visit our website at developmentor.com or follow us on Twitter at developmentor. Cloud computing has changed the way we live, do business, and stay connected. With everyone using the same cloud platforms, winning and losing comes down to having the best talent to build products better and faster. So whether you're an aspiring developer looking to level up, a product manager looking to capitalize on machine learning, or a CTO like me wondering what all the buzz is about for Kubernetes, tech and cloud skills have never been more important. This is why we have teamed up with Cloud Academy here at Developmentor. Cloud Academy brings you thousands of video courses, learning paths, practical hands-on labs in real-world cloud environments, and tools to design to help teams assess, build, and validate critical cloud skills. Most importantly, Cloud Academy stays agile, challenging you with new content, labs, and tons of features that ensure your skills stay relevant and everyone can level up. They cover everything from major certifications to DevOps, security to programming languages. I'm using my free trial time to brush up on my understanding of Kubernetes essentials and serverless principles. Cloud Academy is the cloud training platform of choice for Fortune 500 companies and thousands of tech professionals around the world. Don't just take their word for it though. Check out their reviews on G2 and get started now at cloudacademy.com. For a limited time, our listeners can lock in 50% off the monthly price for life. Just put in the coupon code MENTOR when checking out. It's a great way to pursue certifications or just build expertise during these uncertain times. Again, go to cloudacademy.com and use the coupon code MENTOR, M-E-N-T-O-R, to lock in 50% off the monthly price. Taylor, welcome to the show. Welcome to Developmentor. Hey, Grant. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and it's great. I know we've been trying to get back and forth on getting our schedules aligned with all of COVID. So thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited to share your story with our listeners. Absolutely. 
Well, and now we were talking offline. Uh, as I understand, I think we also have some shared adrenaline junkie side to you. And as, as I understand it, you're a mountain biker and a road biker, as am I. Uh, but curious, which one do you prefer, road biking or mountain biking? I guess I would say I enjoy road biking probably because I could do it more often. And so I get into more of a groove, whereas opposed to mountain biking, I have to travel a little bit further for it. But I think they both have their own little perks because obviously I get a little bit more adrenaline from the mountain biking. Yeah, for sure. Well, and that's my answer usually too. I, I love that. Is uh, the answer is yes. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I agreed. Like, you know, if you can just go out your door, convenience trumps uh, adrenaline any day of the, the week. So, well, it's so great to have you here. I would love to, you know, I gave a little bit of teaser on the, in the bio there, but I would love to just have you kick things off and have you introduce yourself in, in your own words for our audience. Absolutely. So Grant did a great job giving me an intro. As you mentioned, I graduated from the University of Virginia, started my life in uh, consulting, and now I work for a small DC startup. And basically, you know, trying to touch on every facet of software engineering, whether it's testing or being a back-end engineer, or now uh, moving into senior software engineering, where I'm doing more of kind of planning out exactly what we're, we're going to build and whatnot for the next apps that we're putting out. But it's been a fun journey. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think in doing my background research, I believe I read or heard you started college thinking maybe you'd go into marketing or medicine, but but not computer science. But I'm curious, you know, how did you come into tech? What what inspired you to go into computer science in the first place? Yeah, so growing up, everybody would always say like, oh, Taylor is going to be like a CEO or something like that. So when I first got to college, I was like, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Quickly decided I didn't want to do that, then thought I would go into medicine. But then a family friend suggested that I take a computer science class while I was in college. I was originally hesitant, but um, you know, he persuaded me a bit more and I actually did it. It kicked my butt and um, I was really bad at it, but I stuck with it. So I decided that, you know, even though this is kicking my butt and I'm struggling for the first time academically, I really enjoy the feeling of when I finally, you know, complete something that I originally thought that I couldn't do. And so I, I stuck it through. I changed my major again and I ended up majoring in computer science my third year. Obviously, that took a lot of things like, you know, summer classes, winter break classes and taking probably too many credits um, during the semester. But I eventually worked it out and I graduated on time and I haven't regretted it. Wow. I, I love that. I mean, so wait, so you decided in your third year to switch majors and then you basically crammed what is typically a four-year <laughs> major into two. Is that right? Yep. Go big or go home. Wow. I mean, that must have been pretty stressful though as well. It was incredibly stressful. Luckily, I picked a really good uh, partner to do it with. I think he had majored or declared his major a bit earlier than me. But a lot of the major classes, because there aren't many classes that overlap between like medicine or business and computer science. So I had to take a lot of things. But having him in majority of my classes really helped me me push through. So shout out to Miles Gordinker. Wow, that's fantastic. I love the shout out. And yeah, there's there's probably not too many computer science majors taking organic chemistry, for instance. <laughs> I love that. Well, well, Taylor, too, you know, I'm a big fan of actually starting your career doing testing QA. You know, I see a lot of folks coming into the industry who are like, oh, I, I don't want to do that. And and yet you did. And I personally think that's a really good path for learning. What does good code look like? What does bad code look like? And learning how others think. I was curious, you know, what has that experience meant for you starting off in automation engineering and test engineering? 
Absolutely. And to be fair, I was originally one of those engineers that was like, I don't want to start my career here. Um, But once I got into consulting and I realized how important testing is and how very few people wanted to do it, I viewed it as an opportunity. And so I dove head first into that. And ever since I've had that foundation, it kind of Granted, as sometimes I move along in my career and I will admit that sometimes like, oh, I don't want to do this test as I push out this new feature or add additional tests. I feel like it has given me a solid foundation to continue to write quality tests and see the meaning in it, even if in the heat of the moment, I may want to say like, oh, now let's just let's just push ahead. So that foundation has definitely been essential. You're remembering Taylor from five, six, seven years ago and thinking, what would Taylor want to see when she was in that role? Real quick, what are one or two actionable things that our listeners could take away about being successful in that role of testing and QA? Oh, I would say one thing is like there's one thing to write a test, but then there's another thing to write a quality test. So you should really strive to make sure that when you're writing a test that either if you're doing test driven development, I know a lot of people don't actually abide by that. I'll admit that I even don't. But then make sure that when you change your inputs that the test actually fails. That is actually what makes a quality test to, to be able to catch something along the way. And remembering the value of it, even if it seems inconvenient to write the test at the time. You know, you may be in the midst of writing a feature right now. You're like, oh, I know this. I don't necessarily need a test. I can dive back into it if there's an issue. But, you know, if there's an issue in this in this part of the application a year later, that test can really serve either for you or another engineer to segue back into that fairly quickly and be able to find the issue much faster. Yeah, I love that. It's like you're you're creating a contract with your future self. That's fantastic. Well, and so, you know, you were in this test role and then you went into this back-end engineering role. And for those who are just perhaps new to this programming world, we often hear these terms thrown around front-end and back-end. You've been in that that role of back-end engineer and then you've been promoted recently. And I'm curious, like, walk our listeners through a little bit more of what that means to be a back-end engineer in your mind and how you approached it from a, a day-to-day perspective. So for front-end engineering, I typically think of that as the interface that the user sees when they log into a website. So it's kind of like the presentation and everything, whereas me on the back end, I'm handling all of the data that is passed to the front end for you to be able to see and manipulate. I also write the algorithms to potentially be able to save that data to the database and then serve to the user again when they come back. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, you know, so it's a lot of the front end is obviously relying on that. But, you know, what kind of problems are you typically solving in that space? So you're doing a lot of database savings or is this where like the algorithms work and the data structures that you typically take in computer science come forward? Yeah, absolutely. So there are definitely simple things where, um, let's say you have a profile that represents a person. So it could be simple changes where, you know, somebody updates their name the front end passes that back to the back end and I save that. Or there could be more complex algorithms that happen, like potentially a user logs in and they're looking at their retirement account. And so we need to calculate exactly what type of benefits this person should have and then pass that to the front end to be able to be displayed. So a variety of things, depending on what type of application we're doing, but basically that that's what it gets down to. So more recently, you've been promoted into senior software engineer and congrats, by the way. I'm Curious, you know, as you've been at this, I think, seven, eight, nine years now, what have been in your mind some of the key inflection points in your career to date? How have you thought about your career? How have you tried to shape your career over these years? Honestly, so when I first started my career, I was very timid. Like I'm a 
overly confident, not overly, but like I'm typically a confident person. Even when I declared my, my computer science major late, most of the people in my class, they had been programming since they were kids. You know, their parents were engineers and they had, they were much further along in their career than, than I was at that time. And so I was very unsure of myself when I started that career. I had kind of a rocky start with a less than ideal manager, but then I finally left my first company and I joined another company and I had a very supportive team that really nurtured me and made sure that, you know, I understood that not only was I a good engineer as I was in that moment, but that I had so much potential to actually grow into an even better engineer. And those people took the time to invest in me and make sure that I continued my career forward. So once I got that confidence, one thing that I decided was that I would never work a place where I didn't have psychological safety to be able to feel comfortable to ask questions and, you know, kind of be vulnerable and speak up, even if I wasn't sure what I had to say was necessarily the right thing. But then even bigger than myself, I wanted to make sure that the people around me, particularly people that were more junior than me, didn't have the same type of experience that I had to make sure that I'm uplifting them and giving them a solid foundation to build their career upon. I recently had my appraisal and the absolute best piece of feedback I have ever gotten was that I demand respect from every person at every level of the company, but that I also give it. So I really think that that is rooted in how I started my career and me seeing the value in making sure that other people get, you know, something better than I had and propelling them forward. That review speaks, or appraisal, as you call it, speaks volumes. That's that's so cool. I'm curious, you know, so you mentioned finding psychological safety. I mean, that's always a tricky thing to kind of suss out when you're interviewing. Perhaps share some tips that you you might have for our listeners on how you evaluate whether a company is going to fit that bill for you. Honestly, it's almost impossible to figure out in the interview process. Cause like, you know, that's when everybody's on their best behavior. One way that I've found to best suss this out is potentially, you know, especially in a place like DC, the industry is pretty small. So trying to find people that I trust that have worked at this company or know people that work at that company and kind of getting an, an insider view, actually reading Glassdoor. I'm not saying that there can't be just disgruntled people on there that are writing bad reviews, but if there appears to be a trend, those typically make my ears perk up a bit, make me want to dig a little bit deeper. But then sometimes I'll just flat out ask, like, you know, how do you as a manager when I'm interviewing, make sure that your team has psychological safety and make sure that everybody is being heard within your organization? And depending on what their initial response is, is usually like a decent clue into that. What are some of the things you think about when creating that in a in a work environment? What do they call this? Like basically like a servant leader. So anybody that I have to interact with, especially like somebody more junior than me, I always let them know that they have my ear. And I let them know that, you know, I don't always have the answer. I'm admitting that, but we are a team, you know, and we're going to figure this out together. So always know that you can come to me and I will back you in any way that I can if you need me. And even just like saying that and, you know, kind of in a situation, it's been a long time since this has happened, but if I noticed any um, meeting where one person is being talked over or something like that, you know, being the person that says like, wait a minute, what were you actually saying, John? You were being talked over over there. Making sure that everybody has a, a voice that is heard is very important to me. Yeah, no, that's great. I appreciate you sharing that. Any other in inflection points you wanted to share in there? I wanted to make sure I, I covered them, but you know, any other thing that comes to mind in terms of kind of those key moments in your career where you're like, hey, I got to figure this out? One is when I created Black Coat Collective. 
with my co-founders, but just kind of in that moment realizing that there weren't many people that looked like me at my company and realizing how that could like weigh on me at times and thinking about how I could actually fix that. And then actually talking to other black engineers who ended up being my co-founders and deciding to make a community where we can all get together. When we did that, I had no clue how amazing that could be, but I feel like it's made my career so much more fulfilling to have people that can share in my journey with me and also have similar experiences to be able to share advice or for me to be able to give them advice and kind of help each other grow in a career where we are sometimes one of the few. This is probably the last one. Another one was where I felt that I was underpaid for what I was doing, but I was actually afraid to leave my company for fear that I wouldn't be able to be hired or would be treated worse or like any number of fears that I had in that moment. But me just reaching the conclusion that after I'd done a ton of research and kind of like given myself a pep talk, that it was just time. And so if I felt like it wasn't a right fit, if I felt like I was not getting what I needed from that company, that it's okay to leave. Because it, on the flip side, if I wasn't performing up to snuff, um, you know, a company would fire me. So if I'm not getting what I need, I shouldn't feel bad about it. Even though I'm a person, like in tech, a lot of people switch jobs fairly often. That's not me. I actually typically stay at companies for a very long time. But I also have to make sure that, you know, salary, especially as a minority, that, you know, I'm being met where I should be met. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, taking that action into your own hands can be so powerful in those moments. If you are missing live conferences like I am, be sure to check out the new online series of conferences from Manning Publications called Live at Manning. As many of you know, Manning has been a great supporter of the show, offering free books and discounts for our listeners. We've teamed up with them as a media sponsor to spread the word on this new series. These conferences are free to attend, filled with talks from some really great tech experts, and streamed globally via Twitch. No travel needed. Next up in the Live at Manning series is a one-day event focused on women in tech. It is on October 13th, starting at 12 p.m. Eastern. This is your chance to hear from speakers like Cornelia Davis, who you heard here in episode 88, and Emily Robinson, who you heard here in episode 76. Plus, you can learn about topics like algorithmic engineering on large data sets and get the latest on virtual reality. Head over to developmentor.com slash women in tech, all one word, all lowercase, to find out more. In case you didn't catch that, there's going to be a link in your show notes. We'll see you there. So you answered a little bit of what inspired you to co-found Black Code Collective. So thank you for that. That was actually one of my next questions. Tell us a little bit more about what it is about. You know, how is it organized? Uh, what might be replicable? Because this is primarily in Washington, D.C. right now, but I'm curious what might be replicable for others who want to do this in their city. So basically, during normal times, what would happen is, you know, two to three times a month, we would gather and the events would consist of any type of tech event. Sometimes it would just be, you know, networking so that we could get to know each other. Other times we may be going to meet at a school or some other event to kind of, you know, encourage the next generation to actually get together. Or sometimes it's just in celebration. Like every year we get together for Juneteenth or Sometimes we have events called Wind Down Wednesdays where we get together in a small group and discuss things that are bothering us as Black engineers and give advice on how to actually remedy those things. 
And so that's typically how things flow in person. But we also have a Slack group and as well as a Twitter account um, where we try to remain active with our members and keep folks engaged. So they always have a place to come and ask questions or get support when they need it. I was going to ask, how are you approaching this during the the COVID era, era but, you know, especially for a local group. I mean, that, that face-to-face time, it can be so critical, especially when you're dealing with difficult issues. Absolutely. So when it first happened, we kind of went to virtual events, but then with the police brutality and everything like that, I felt like our community was very just like emotionally drained. And so now we've just been shifting to more just being on Slack and kind of supporting each other in that way and just talking it through and saving the tech talks and whatnot, because we felt like our community wasn't in space to absorb that. But now that we're getting a bit past that, we're thinking about slowly rolling out a bit more uh, tech events virtually and engaging with our members that way to see how they how they feel about that. And when I say past that, we're by far not past police brutality, but I'm just saying that like, you know, now that we've been able to kind of take time to feel and kind of like get our breath back, um, that our community may be open to more tech events. Yeah, I know. I can appreciate that. It's not an easy situation. And like like you said, I think there's still a lot of work to be done in tech around this. One of the things that strikes me, Taylor, that runs kind of as a theme throughout is you're a relationship builder and you you relationship development is, I think, one of the key themes that underlies so many of our guests' career on this show. I would love for you to spend a moment perhaps reflecting on the relationship. Sounds like you've got some great ones that you've built up through Black Code Collective. Sounds like you've had some mentors over the years, family, friends. Reflect for a moment on how you think about building relationships and how they factor into a technical career. Until recently, I hadn't actually thought about how relationships could change the way your tech career goes or your career at all. Like I'm naturally a people person but you know, COVID has given me time to kind of like sit down and do a ton of reflecting. And so that's something that I've been thinking about more in my head. Uh, that's where thoughts happen. So of course it's in my head, but, <laughs> but I've been thinking about it more and it can genuinely make all the difference. Like, especially even say for instance, a job opening, sometimes like job openings don't even get to hit the web yet because they're filled by people that are within the posters, personal network, you know, little things like that, as well as having people that are either more seasoned than me or people that have had different experiences than me to be able to give me feedback or connect me with the right person when I need it can be a huge game changer in propelling my career forward or allowing me to help propel other people's careers for it as I get into a position where I'm able to help other people as well. Any particular tips for our listener on how to kind of come out of their shell, perhaps on building those relationships or figure out how to navigate that space? I know it can be hard, but try to make it as natural as possible. I have several mentors that I've picked up along the way, but they've all happened very naturally. And I think those are the best type of mentor relationships because these are people that genuinely care about the advancement of my career. Whereas I've had it in the past where people have tried to make it like a pitch almost, but similar to other things, you know, people don't like car salesmen and and things like that. So it can kind of be a turnoff to people. So while I think it's okay to identify somebody that's like, oh, wow, like it'd be really cool if they were my mentor one day, do your best to keep it natural and not like scare folks away. Because actually being a mentor is a lot of work. 
like one of my closest friends is actually my mentor right now. Shout out Wynn Van Devanter. But granted, we can, since we're so close, you know, we can get a beer and talk about, you know, what's going on in my career and it doesn't feel like work to him, or at least I don't think so. Whereas this, if this was just somebody that I call up randomly whenever I need help in my career, I could see it feeling a bit cumbersome. Yeah, that's so true. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for somebody, that, that mentor who knows you deeply across the spectrum. Well, and so, you know, you've, we've been talking a little bit about career development. I want to come back to this. You know, you, you got promoted into senior software engineer. What's that been like? What has been the shift, if you will, or what's changed about how you think about coding, programming, you know, like all of the things that go into designing and building software for a product or for a company? as that like lack of confidence that I kind of touched on at the beginning of the event, I kind of felt like very validated when I finally got promoted. Because honestly, until my manager said it, I thought that I was at least another year away from actually being senior. Um, So when he said it, I was like completely shocked. But then from there, I've moved into being tech lead for the next app that we're going to release. And it's the first time that I've ever done it. So the biggest shift for me was my time no longer being my time during the workday. I didn't realize how much of a privilege it is to be able to come into work and be like, you know what, I'm going to do this today. And then having hours to get it done, you know, complete my little tickets. But when you're doing something like creating a new application, you have a lot of different cooks in the kitchen. You have a lot of developers working on it. So you don't want to be a bottleneck for somebody else. So while I may have my own tickets to complete, I have to also make sure that I'm thinking about the broader vision and the implication of the tickets that we're working on now to make sure that we're set up for success to be able to not only deliver these things, but to deliver them in an efficient manner, which is kind of intimidating, but also very rewarding as well. Yeah, but I I feel so lucky, actually, because I I feel like I caught you right in this moment. Uh, You know, I've had prior guests on who have been kind of pre-tech lead, and I've had other guests who have been post-tech lead, and I'm, I'm catching you right in the moment. So thank you for sharing that. I'm curious, like, how then have you been approaching it? You know, how do you approach, like, that shift? And even just the fact that you even recognize that there's that shift is something that often can take a little bit of time. I'm curious of how you've been digging in on it. Yeah, I've just been trying to be gentle with myself and try to be open with my team about where I'm at because like I'm very goal oriented. So like the first sprint, I was very frustrated with myself. Like you said, you're going to get all these tickets done and you haven't done anything. But I write down every day at the end of work, what I did for the day, kind of just one to help myself with stand up the next day. But then also it's a great reference for when I have these appraisals, because it's kind of hard sometimes, especially in COVID to uh, conceptualize what has happened in the last year. But then when I looked back at the log for the sprint, I was like, wait, I actually did a lot of things. Granted, it wasn't coding, but the meetings that I was in and the things that I pushed out actually made it possible for several other engineers to keep pushing. So kind of just making a little shift in my mind that, you know, just because I'm not completing tickets doesn't mean that I'm not accomplishing things. If anything, I'm accomplishing more by being able to empower others to keep things going. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that little tip too. I think what I'm hearing is you're, you you keep kind of a little diary that at the end of the day is just this quick check-in almost. Exactly. Yep. Just a little two or three bullet points on what I did for the day as a quick reference. Has that always been a habit or is that something that you more recently just started doing as part of this change? Over probably the last four years or so, I've done it. 
And I'm imagining that, that creates quite a log of, of your life <laughs> in many ways, right? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting to look back at sometimes like, oh, wow, I did do that. <laughs> and then, of course, the engineer brain is like, all right, how do I aggregate and roll up and report on this, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> get those metrics. Well, and, and that's in many ways a good segue because I think, uh, you know, one of the things I like to get into on the show a little bit within a comfort zone, of course, is, you know, jobs and careers there aren't always sunshine and rainbows, I like to say, you know, and, and I'm curious now as you reflect back a little bit, what's been the best thing about your role or your roles and, and what's perhaps been something that's been challenging that you've had to work through as you've tried to navigate the space of being a software engineer? Probably the best thing was realizing that I don't have to settle. Uh, like in the beginning of my career, I know that sounds so weird, but I was like, oh, well, I can't have like, you know, great pay and work-life balance and, you know, this and that. But at least now I can say that I have everything I've wanted. Um, like I'm well-paid. I have a work-life balance. I love the people that I work with. They're people that are not only smart, but they're also very kind and willing to share knowledge. And I just feel like this is a moment in my life. I'm not saying that I'm planning on leaving anytime soon because I'm not, but as I go through my career, I want to remember that, that you don't have to feel stuck in a career or stuck in a job um, just because that's where you're at now. You can get something that you actually love a bit more and just kind of remembering that as I traverse my career. I hate to keep bringing this up, but honestly, the hardest part of my career was myself, like that imposter syndrome and feeling like, you know, I didn't belong or like I'd never figure it out or like, you know, oh, maybe you should just kind of like quit because this person who's in a position of power has told you that, you know, you're not well suited for it and just kind of just keep it moving. But for whatever reason, I kept coming back to tech. I kept trying to push forward and I feel like things are finally clicking into place. But the amount of imposter syndrome I've felt up until probably the last like potentially six months has at times felt overwhelming. And there were genuine times where I felt like I couldn't make it in tech or that maybe I should actually switch out of uh, tech. And there were, were times when I was in consulting when I did step away from tech to do more of the business side because I felt like I couldn't do it. But what ended up happening is that I stepped away and did business for like a year or two. And then I decided that, you know what, I want to get back in the fight. I want to do engineering. And I actually started doing like ETL work, working in databases on a different client. And this guy named Best Sneak came and, you know, I was, you know, still really timid as far as like my engineering skills. Um, and he was like, you're actually really smart. Like, you're really good at this. And I was like, no, no, no. I have like so much work to do. And he was like, no, like, you're really good at this. Like, you need to like dive head first into back into your engineering career. And he helped me update my resume. He helped me, you know, job search. And he's the one who actually landed me at my next job where I ended up being able to grow so much. But actually, it took somebody else who I respected, genuinely believing in me and giving me that little extra push for me to actually start believing in myself a little bit. And then once I started my next job, shout out uh, Will Durney and Chloe Powell, they really nurtured my career and made sure that, you know, I continued to believe in myself and kind of like, you know, push me along until I could fully spread my wings. So powerful. I mean, I, I think imposter syndrome for anybody, you know, like I, I think so many people struggle with it. And I, I know I do. I've been at it a long time. I still I still have those doubts. Am I really cut out for this? So I don't think any something that ever fully goes away, but it's so cool that you've been able to find those people who are supportive of it. And I, I think that's a critical aspect of it. And it goes back to kind of what you were saying earlier about the relationship building. 
a little bit of a curveball maybe, but what's been the most surprising thing about your career? That That's something that 18-year-old Taylor would be like, I can't believe I did that. Honestly, when I started my career, like me being like a senior software engineer and being tech lead felt so far-fetched. And to think that I'd be able to do it and have like a work-life balance and be where I am in life now to be able to live the life that I lead as far as like, you know, being able to during normal times <laughs> travel and, you know, like live alone and like, I don't know, just like I live like a very amazing life. And while I would have thought, you know, when I was 18, like, oh, like you'll live like a good life. I wouldn't have thought it would have been this great before 30. I'm I'm curious, actually, I'm going to go a little off script, but you, you've mentioned work-life balance a couple of times and, you know, and there's definitely a thing in software, like, you know, the software has got a ship. How does work-life balance actually show up for you? What does that mean? I am a firm believer in the fact that I work to live. I don't live to work. And so while I'm not saying that I wouldn't push myself and work those extra hours when it's needed, I really think that, especially in a job where you have to think so much and a lot of times think critically, to be able to be rested and be able to bring full like mental capacity to work is absolutely essential. So I really believe in like you know challenging my employer to allow us to have that work life balance. Otherwise, you know it's like the point of diminishing returns. Like if you're constantly forcing your workforce to work, like you know, 60 hour weeks or whatnot, there's going to get to a point where they're so exhausted that they wouldn't be able to produce at the rate that they would be able to if you were to just give them that work-life balance to begin with. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I love that work to live idea there. I, I know uh, I, I can remember probably the worst job I ever had. I was had just had my first child and was working probably, we had to ship and it was like 70 to 80 hours a week, like three weeks after having a kid. I was so exhausted. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I mean, I, I put in the time, I put in the work, but you know, like if a job requires you to do that all the time, like there's just something broken, especially as engineers, like we as engineers, like we're supposed to design systems that create leverage, right? And automate. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing that. I, I love that definition. I think that that's something that needs to be sorely talked about in our industry is how to do that. How do you see this role changing? Uh, how do you see software engineering changing? What are you thinking about You know, one year out, two years out as, as you think about developing your career? That's actually a really good question. Probably like one or two years out. Definitely much more comfortable being tech lead and much more you know efficient and skilled at it. And potentially even leading a, a team consistently, because like right now as tech lead, it's basically just feature based, but potentially having, you know, a little subset of engineers that I'm, I'm responsible for. And the second question was how I see engineering growing. How the role might change. I mean, I'm, you know, it's always a little tricky to predict the future, but I mean, what do you just see on the horizon of software engineering in general? I think that we have like at least a reckoning coming for making sure that we continue to make quality code especially for things like, I'm trying to remember the time frame of when this was, but you know, they used a software system to uh, handle the 911 calls for a state, but then it went down for, I think, hours, maybe a day or two or something like that, and they couldn't receive 911 calls. And so it's amazing that tech is becoming more a part of our lives, but as it becomes more a part of our lives in essential ways outside of Instagram and, you know, websites that we like to visit, we need to make sure that gets back to that testing and other things, but uh, making sure that we're building quality system. But the thing is, is that, you know, 
humans aren't perfect, but we're the ones who are building the software. So always making sure that we account for those, you know, there's no software out there that's bug free, but making sure that these platforms are well tested to try to minimize, well, not only just well tested, but also well distributed and set up to uh, avoid that single point of failure when they are as essential as like emergency calls and such things like that. You know, normally at this point in the show, I ask you about mentors you've had and you've given a, a couple of shout outs already, but I would love to actually shape it a little bit differently is happy to have you give some more shout outs, but spend a moment talking about some of the things that they've helped you work through, like maybe the impact they've had. So probably the main things that they've helped me work through is definitely not to beat a dead horse, but you know, the confidence like Taylor, you got this, like you could totally figure this out. But then Two, being able to give me feedback when I need advice on exactly how to handle potentially a situation that may not be going the way that I'd like it to at work or using their networks to make sure that I can, you know, navigate the, my tech career as I would see fit to. But honestly, I guess another big part, uh, one of my mentors I forgot is like Georgette Kaiser. And so she's in a position of where I would like to be one day. So in a different way, she always gives me the confidence to be able to know that this is like possible because it's a woman that looks like me and she's doing what I would like to one day do. So reminder that it's not only possible, but I have her along the way to help guide me. And she genuinely believes in me. So to have somebody that I think is just absolutely phenomenal, think so highly of little old me, it's a confidence boost in a different way that kind of keeps me chugging. I love that. It's like a superpower when you just have somebody in your camp like that. So the day we're recording this is July 2nd. July 2nd's episode is with uh, Dr. Shiri Dori Hakon, and she talks about some similar themes of the existence proof was what one of her mentors called it of like, I'm here. I am a woman in tech. I have kids. I have a PhD. I have all these things that you're aspiring to. Here is proof that it can be done. And that existence proof is so powerful in this world. That's fantastic, Taylor. I, I want to ask you then to, you're now in this leadership role, software engineer, uh, senior software engineer, tech lead. Reflect back and put your mentoring hat on. What's your best career advice? Never work somewhere where you don't have psychological safety. Always know that you can do it. I know a lot of times, especially in engineering, like it's a very humbling career because I genuinely feel that it's it's a career that you will never a hundred percent conquer. You know, new tech is always coming out, things are always shifting, but have confidence in yourself that you can figure it out along the way. I think uh, the biggest thing with uh, engineers is just being able to figure it out. And so once you have that, you know, core set of tools, you should be able to figure it out from then on out. And network. I know not everybody is an extrovert, but to the degree that you feel comfortable with, definitely try to network because as you navigate your career, those networks can make all the difference. But then once you get to the position where you're comfortable and you're able to, make sure that you reach back and help lift up the next generation and don't kind of just keep chugging and only considering yourself. Such fantastic advice that finding that safety doing the networking work. I love that so much, Taylor. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for being on the show. One final question for you, and it's going to be a softball, but where can our listeners best follow you on social media, learn from you, engage with you and your content? Absolutely. So probably the place that I'm most active is on Twitter. So you can find me at, at engineering underscore bay. You can always find me on LinkedIn at Taylor Poindexter. 
If you're curious about Black Co Collective, the URL is just blackcocollective.com. You can get on our Slack and connect with me that way too. That is fantastic. And for our listeners, we will be sure to link up all of that in the show notes. Taylor, thank you again so much for taking the time to join us here on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Grant. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Developmentor podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Even better, please leave us a review. If you want to hear older episodes, leave feedback, or sign up to be a guest, please visit us at developmentor.com. If you'd like to support the show, there are three ways you can help out. One, make a donation via Patreon. Two, if you're a software engineer looking for your next gig and wanting to practice interviewing, use our referral link to the interviewing.io platform. And three, buy your next tech book from Manning Publications using our affiliate link. All of those links can be found at developmentor.com slash support dash us. That's S-U-P-P-O-R-T dash U-S. All one word. Most importantly, if you like this show, please tell your friends. Referrals are the lifeblood of any podcast. Finally, we here at Developmentor hope that each and every episode helps you move one step closer to finding your path.